0: Merry Christmas, Central. So good to see all of you this morning. You know, I don't know about you, but I was uh, just kind of buzzing after last, well, there we go, Uh whew. so excited after last night's Christmas Eve service. And, you know, I got in the car and I told my family, we got to wait a whole other year until we get to do that again. You know, it's just, it's such a special time and I'm so glad for this morning because we got to wait about 10 years until we get to do this again. It's very special, you know, to be able to come together on Christmas morning and just celebrate our Savior. You know, one of the things that we want to do as a a church family is uh, be able to take the light that's been given to us and be able to share the good news of Jesus throughout the year. And so one of the ways that we try to equip each other and hold each other accountable to do that is our impact groups. And so those are getting ready to start in the new year, so I encourage you to, to sign up for one of those, be a part of one of those, build relationships with, with other people here, and then also just grow in our knowledge and understanding and application of, of God's Word. Um, also, real quick, uh, you know, as we think about Christmas and God's generosity to us, and and All that Jesus gave up in order to become man and it's quite a lot when you think about the the rights that he gave up the right to look like God and act like God and live like God in order to be man so that we might be given the right to be called the children of God Uh, and so one of the ways that we do worship God is through our generosity being able to give back to him who's so generously given to us. And so if you'd like to do that this morning, we've got boxes in the front and in the back. You can do that. And then also to our Christmas offering where half of that is just going to support missionaries around the world. And then the other half of that is just to make some updates, uh, some needed renovations to our building. And we got a lot of people coming in and using our space throughout the week. It was exciting just this week. You should know we had a, a group in the community called... Uh, Coping to Coding, and it's a group of people, and they help uh, kids who uh, struggle with having a home, really. They're displaced and everything. Well, they come together here, and they use our space. They're given practical life skills. And, um, and teach them to just kind of deal with, with some of the, the darkness and hardships that they're going through. So it's because of your generosity that we're able to have people like that just in our space in this time of the year. It's, it was definitely exciting just to see the smiles on their faces and, uh, and the love of the workers who are, who are in here. Um, hey, one more, th- I just want you guys to know too that when we, uh, next week, we're again just one service, okay? Just our 10:30 service as we bring in the new year together, and Pastor Brian will be preaching. That'll be exciting. And then the following week, January 8th, we head back to the Book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and we'll just kind of roll with Mark right up and through Easter. So we'll get to see just the build up and the anticipation of Easter as we go through the Gospel of Mark. But this morning, it's Christmas morning. We get to light our final Advent. Candle. And so the tailors will come up and just kind of walk us through a passage and then a devotional related to this final advent calendar. Candle.
1: So, with the Taylor family, um, first off, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, so, I'm Darryl. This is Mariah, Hannah, Sarah, and my wife, Jasmine, you all know. And little Kaylee, she sleeps today. It's a rarity, but she's here. Um, so, right here you go. The The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be a wonderful counselor, my God, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This Christmas morning, we light the final Advent candle to remind ourselves that Jesus has come. He came to bring light to a people in darkness. The incarnation of Jesus provides the answer for the conflicts, the broken promises, the hurts, the rebellions, the sin that has scarred our world. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came into the world. He created by taking human flesh upon himself to provide a way for peace between a perfect God and holy man. To a people living in darkness, a light has dawned. Jesus brings joy to the world.
0: Part of the goal behind this uh, service is really just to be like a, a family service where we just kind of come together as a, as a church family and, um, and just kind of have some fun together. And you know, we all have our different Christmas traditions, right? I'm sure you've got plans for today, things that you probably do just about every year at Christmas time, we all have them. Uh, I know one of the things that our family likes to do when we gather together during Christmas time is just play some games, and so I thought this morning, as we kind of walked through the Christmas story together, that we just kind of play a game together, okay? So we're going to walk through it in a unique kind of way. It'll be, it'll be kind of fun. Every, no Scrooges out there, all right? I heard some groans. No scrooge. <laughs> Everybody's playing. All right, no, no we're, no. we're going to have some fun. So um, if you have a phone and, and you want to go through this on your phone, that'd be great. You can go to ccg.buzz. Okay, on your phone, ccg.buzz, and then there's this access code L8YZ, okay, L8YZ, and you can play that way, uh, or you can just grab a pen, a paper, we'll take a little Christmas quiz together. You know, it's interesting. Think about the Christmas story. It's a story we've all heard a million times, right? And we think we know it, but the thing is, culture kind of tells us a lot and informs a lot about the Christmas story. So we're going to take a quiz together. We're going to see how we do. And I tell you what, the way that I take quiz or, or play games at my house, I just like to sit on a couch, relax with other people. So I'm, to, I'm just going to do that right here. Okay? I'm going, to play, I'm going to play the game right from the couch. And any kids want to come up, y'all can come up too, y'all can come up on the stage. You can sit on the couch with me if you want, all right? Uh, and, and y'all can play with me from up here, okay? All right, yeah, we can make room. All right, all right, maybe, maybe some of y'all can just kind of come around here, all right? Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Everybody looks so Christmassy, so beautiful today. It's great. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with this uh, Christmas quiz. We'll see how you do. Question number one. Which of the four Gospel writers detail the birth story of Jesus? A, Matthew and Luke, B, Matthew, Mark and Luke, C, John, or D, all of them? All right, we got — about half of you got that one. Matthew and Luke, that was the right answer. All right. And. The way this works, the faster you get the answer in, the more points you're going to get, okay? Obviously, you got to get it right, but, um, but that's how that works. And there we go. We've got Rudolph is playing. That's great. Um, the elves down there, uh, yeah, they don't know the Christmas story too well. Or, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, it is, it is Matthew and Luke, you know? Mark's uh, Gospel, if you remember, uh, if you've been with us, Mark's Gospel begins with a promise. A promise of one who will prepare the way for Jesus, a promise that would be fulfilled by John the baptizer. John's gospel, he begins by going all the way back to the very beginning, before the beginning began. And so and he tells us that Jesus is the pre-existent one. So yes, it's Matthew and Luke who give us actually the birth story of Jesus. So, you're going to have to be reliant on your knowledge of Matthew and Luke this morning to pretty much answer the rest of these questions. So with that, let's go ahead and get to question number two. Who told Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem? A, the star, B, their parents, C, the angel, or C, Caesar Augustus? What do you all think? Angel. Okay. All right, a lot of the kids are saying the angel, but the right answer is D, Caesar Augustus. Good job. Yeah, Caesar Augustus, we're told in the Let's see, how did y'all do on that one? I'm not seeing percentages. Uh, We're told in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel that Caesar Augustus is the one who issued a decree that Everyone had to go back to their hometown, their town of lineage, and Joseph being from the town of David, the town of Bethlehem, that's where he had to return. And so it was Caesar Augustus who, who gave the decree and essentially told the people to go back. All right, next question. How did Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem? A, Joseph was walking and Mary was riding on a donkey. B. They both walked. C. On a camel. Or D. We don't know. A, a. We don't know. A. B. 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 We don't I know, know. I don't the, the walk. Yeah. Okay. The there was a lot of A and D on the stage. The right answer is D. We don't. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't really tell us how they got there. Yes. Your Christmas card may not be right. You know. We just. We don't really know. We're just told they got there. And, you know, one of the things we do know is that Joseph was very, uh, and Mary, they were just starting out, they were young, they were poor, they might not have owned a mule, they may have, but at the end of the day, we just don't know. So let's go ahead and go to the next question. When Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem, the innkeeper's actual words were? A, why didn't you make reservations? B, please use my stable, C, none of the available options, or D, there is no room for you in the inn. There's no room for you in the inn. So D is very popular here, there's no room for you in the inn, but the right answer is actually C. None of the available options. In fact, when they make it to Bethlehem, We're not even told that Mary and Joseph actually met the innkeeper. Okay, they're just, we we don't even know. You know, everyone's in there. Bethlehem's a small town. There's probably only one inn in the town, but yet a lot of people have a lineage of Bethlehem, so it's probably overcrowded. Uh, Mary and Joseph might have heard just from uh, people in the town that, hey, there's no room in the inn. Uh, Yet the innkeeper's not even in the scripture. So, no, uh, (laughs) if, if he said that, we have no record of it. All right, next question. What exactly is a manger? A: a wooden cradle. B: a feed trough for animals. C: none of the available options. or D, the place where animals slept. Two. All right. A feed animal. feed.: All right, it seems almost everyone did well on this one. and the kids had it all right, too. A feed trough for animals. That's right. And you know what's interesting about this feed trough? You know that It was in a stable. A stable in those days was often just a, a cutout in the hillside of Bethlehem, so it's almost like a cave. And the, the manger, in, uh, the feed trough for animals in those days was often made of limestone, okay? So it wasn't even made of wood, most likely. Um, The last place that you'd ever want to start a fire in those days was a stable because everything could catch on fire. Uh, You know, we have these Christmas cards again with all these animals neatly and nicely sitting around, you know, baby Jesus in this wooden cradle. Um, They're not actual photographs. Uh, You know, it, it probably didn't look a lot like that. It was probably noisy and scary and confusing probably lonely, probably smelly. Um, There's probably a lot going on. You know, sometimes those postcards that we send, they almost dehumanize um, what was actually taking place that night. But Mary and Joseph, they were given strength and courage, and, and I'm sure that happened when the first visitors show up. So let's get to the next question, and we'll talk about them. How many angels spoke to the shepherds? A, a heavenly host. B, one. C, we don't know. Or D, none. We don't know. One. We don't know. One. We don't know.
1: One. We don't know. One. We don't All right. One.
0: Know. One, one, one. Okay. We don't know. The correct answer is B, one. Uh, All right. Yes. There was. <laughs> There's one an- one angel that came and delivered the message to the shepherds and, and uh, told the shepherds where, where uh, they could find Jesus and the sign that they were to look for in, in locating Jesus and how they could identify Jesus. And after the one angel says all of that, then a heavenly host of angels join that one angel and they all begin praising God and, and saying, glory to God in the highest. Um, So, one angel actually spoke to the shepherds. All right, let's get to that next question. What was the sign the shepherds were supposed to look for in order to identify Jesus? A, three wise men, B, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, B, a baby lying in a manger, or D, a star that rose in the east? B, a A, baby in a manger. Okay. I'm hearing a lot of baby in a manger here on the stage and a star. The right answer is C, a baby in a manger. It, you know, it would have been an effective sign because uh, probably the only baby — there's you know, probably a lot of infants in Bethlehem at that time — but probably the only baby in, in Bethlehem that would have born in, been born in such humble, poverty-stricken conditions that night that you would find him out in a cave, lying in a feed trough with animals and everything. I mean, it's quite a scene. So yes, that was the identifying sign. All right, next question. Who followed the star? Kings from the Orient? Uh, B, shepherds? C, religious leaders? or D Persian astrologers Persian astrologers Persian astrologers astrologer. vish- The cor- the correct answer is mm-hmm. D Persian astrologers yes. <laughs> I knew it because I went to auditorium Persian astrologers and so uh, these astrologers that were known as the wise men magi and in order to become the king of Persia they basically had to sign off and say, yes, you, you, you have the knowledge, you have the skill, because you, you had to have certain knowledge and abilities and science and, uh, and math and different things. And it was the Persian astrologers who trained future kings of Persia and then said, yes, you, you're qualified. Um, but in order to follow the star, these, um, these astrologers, they traveled over 900 miles to go to the place where Jesus was. And that brings us to our next question. Where did these wise men visit Jesus? Uh, When Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt, in the temple courts, in a house where Joseph and Mary were staying, while Jesus was lying in the manger. Um, second, second one. No, second one. Right. The correct answer is C, in the house where Joseph and Mary were staying. <laughs> in the house where Joseph and Mary were staying. All right. So we'll, just, we'll go ahead and we'll go to the next question Who do we know was present when the wise men came to visit Jesus? A, Mary and Jesus. B, Joseph, Mary and Jesus. C, Joseph, Mary an angel in Jesus. Or D, Joseph, Mary, shepherds in Jesus. Shepherds. Correct answer. About 28 percent of you had it, it. Was Mary and Jesus. So, the Bible just tells us that when the when the wise men got there that uh, Mary, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Uh, maybe Joseph was there. The Bible just didn't tell us that. He could have been working. He could have been in a carpenter shop or something like that. But what we do know is Mary and Jesus were there. Okay, next question. How old was Jesus when the wise men visited him? A toddler, one to two years. B, a baby less than a year. C, a small child three to four years. Or D, we don't know. 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 All we know The correct answer is A, a toddler one to two years. A so, this one, you have to do a little bit of deduction in order to get in order to narrow it down and get it just right but uh, basically after coming to the house the bible says that the the wise men saw Mary and Jesus and the word there for child is is the word is, is not brephos okay in the greek you, you almost need greek to help you with this and brephos refers to a baby okay like a, 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 one year or less. Okay, that's what that word refers to. The word that's given is Pation, which means small child. A small child could actually be three or four years, and you could still use the word pation. However, Herod had given the decree that you have to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, all the boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under. And so from that, you're able to deduce that Jesus was between one and two years old based on the language of the text and the order given by Herod, okay? And so for those of you who got it, well done, right? Let's see, let's go go ahead to the next question. What was myrrh used for? Okay, it's one of the gifts from the wise men. What was it used for? A, to embalm the dead. Uh, B, none of the available options. C, as medicine to relieve pain. Or B, as medicine to relieve pain and to embalm the dead. correct answer is D, as medicine to relieve pain and to embalm the dead. So you might remember from Mark's gospel uh, that Jesus on the cross was offered a drink mixed with myrrh as medicine to help kind of relieve the pain, and he refused the drink. Everything that he would suffer from the cross, he would feel every last bit of it, Um, and it was also used to embalm the dead. And so you you have this uh, almost imagery right in the beginning of Jesus by the gifts he's receiving that he's going to be a king who will one day die and give his life. Uh, for his people. You also see that in the clothes that he's wrapped in. Bible tells us he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes were death clothes. We talked about this the other week. It's the clothes that were wrapped around or claws that would be wrapped around someone um, as they're making a long journey in those days because that'd be very difficult. And in case they were to die on that journey, they would have claws to wrap themselves in. And so from the gift and the cloth, you already see this imagery that's kind of alerting us that Jesus is a king who's gonna die for us. All right, next question. How did Herod know to look for Jesus in Bethlehem? A, the religious leaders told him. B, Herod followed the star as well. C, the magi told him. Or D, Herod had the magi followed. Herod Herod had the magi followed. The correct answer, we're pretty split. Uh, the correct answer is A, the religious leaders told him, okay? So uh, the, ma- the Magi do show up and ask some questions, but it's actually the religious leaders who give the answer, and they're able to locate uh, — you know, it's, it's interesting. The wise men travel, these people who are seemingly far off, Gentiles, distant people, they'll travel over 900 miles to see Jesus. These religious leaders who were able to point Herod right to where Jesus is, well, they won't walk around the corner to see him. And, and so we still have this idea that, that God invites, he's a God who invites those who are seemingly far off, seemingly distant. There's a place at the table around the couch for all, for all of us, for all, of, uh, for all people. He would give his life for all people. Um, All right, so that wraps up our Christmas quiz. The winner is Brian. Well done. Brian. Is that you? Oh, right right here. Great job. All right. Very well done. Nice job. All right, kids, thank you all for playing along with me. Y'all can go back and find your parents. Merry Christmas. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. It's interesting when you go through that, isn't it? Just to see uh, how much culture tells us about the Christmas story, and then just to go back and just to look through the scriptures and to see what the Bible actually reveals to us. And I don't know, hey, Brian, you won. Did you get all of them right? No, 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 okay. So no one got every last one of them right. And it kind of shows us that, uh, hey, this next year, it doesn't matter if you got them all right, right, whatever, the, whatever your score was, but there's room for all of us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and our relationship with him. But the point is that we start, that, that we begin. And so thinking about that, as we kind of wrap up our Into the Light series in the Gospel of John, I want to take you this morning to John chapter 1, the end of his uh, first chapter here. And we'll look at verses 43 through 51. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And John writes, and he says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, you shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So, starts with Philip, right? Just one friend. Here's the good news of Jesus. He believes. And what does he do? He runs and tells somebody else, finds his friend Nathaniel, tells Nathaniel, hey, you got to come and see. This is the one who Moses wrote about. This is the one we've been waiting for. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, (laughs) Nazareth, it's almost like a joke, right? Nazareth, there's no way. Everybody knows about Nazareth. There's no way anything's good coming from Nazareth. This has got to be some kind of a joke. And Philip says, oh, just come and see. Just come and see. And so Nathanael comes. He follows his friend. He comes, and there's Jesus. And Jesus uh, tells him, hey, you're a true Israelite. Uh, you're one. There's no deceit in you. And Nathanael's little curious, well, how do you know me? I saw you while you are sitting under the fig tree. And then immediately Nathanael believes. And Jesus says, you're going to see even greater things than this. He was just getting started just getting started in everything he was gonna do in Nathaniel's life. And you know, that's the whole point of Christmas, is the point of Bethlehem and the point of Christmas is, is a place where God begins, a place where God starts. It's, it's not Easter, it's not where it is finished. It's a place of beginning, it's a place of starting. And you know, we all need that place of starting, don't we? God continues to start. As you look through the disciples' lives and other people's lives throughout the scriptures, You see, it's not always perfect. It doesn't always go just, well, it's not like everybody has everything buttoned up. Even when Jesus calls the disciples, he doesn't go to Jerusalem and find like the best and the brightest and the the ones who know the Torah the best and who are training to be future uh, Pharisees or priests or anything like that. No, he just goes and finds 12 ordinary guys, fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, whoever, just ordinary guys. It's a place to start. Are they completed, are they finished projects or or, or products? No, just a place to start. We see it over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. Thomas, remember him? We all have, you know one of the things about the disciples being so ordinary, we can all identify with one of them. A lot of times we can see ourselves in one of the disciples, there's Thomas, He's like the realist of the group, you know? When Jesus says, hey, we're going to get, head back to Jerusalem, Thomas is the one. He's like, all right, let's just, we all need to go there. We're just going to die. Everything Jesus is saying, this is just going to happen. He's, he's kind of a pessimist. And anyway, Thomas would later come, and uh, after, the, after the resurrection, and Thomas is the one, he said, I don't believe. There's no way. I saw what happened. Dead is dead. There's no way I'm going to believe unless I can put my hands where the nails were. And then Jesus shows up. There's no record that Thomas actually touched his side or his hands or anything like that. Jesus just shows up. Thomas sees and he declares, oh, I believe. But even today, we don't think of Thomas as Thomas the believer, do we? We think of him as Thomas the doubter. Perfect? No. Good enough was a place to start. Simon Peter, you remember him? We, a, lot, a lot of us identify with Peter, right? He's the man. He's the one we look at. He's the guy who just kind of shoots his mouth off every once in a while. And, uh, you know, I've stuck my foot in my mouth a time or two as well. I can identify with Simon Peter. He's the one, though. He declares to Jesus, hey, I'm never going to leave you. Even if everybody else does, I'll never turn away. I'm with you to the end. <laughs> and then, right before the crucifixion, He folds like cheap lawn furniture under the interrogation of a teenage girl, you know. And after the resurrection, Jesus has a special breakfast just designed for Peter. And he calls him and he says, Simon, Simon, Uh uh-oh. Peter knew right then, because that's going right back to square one. You remember there was this other time when everyone's saying, hey, we think Jesus is this person, we think Jesus is this person, we think Jesus is this person, he looks at his disciples, okay, but who do you say that I am? And it was Simon Peter who spoke up and said, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, exactly right, and now I'm gonna call you Peter, because it's on this type of faith that I'm gonna build my church. And now, They're back at that breakfast, and Jesus calls him Simon. It's almost like you're going back to square one. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Perfect? No, not perfect, but a place to start. You see it over and over and over again in the scriptures. We saw it in Mark chapter 5. If you were with us, we we looked at Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, there's this scene where Jairus is approaching Jesus. He's got this 12-year-old girl who's back at home, and she's sick, and she's dying. And so he's begging Jesus, will you come, and will you heal my 12-year-old girl? And then the scene is all interrupted because another woman comes in the crowd and she touches Jesus's robe. She's thinking to herself, if I just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Don't need to make a big scene of it, just touch his robe. Jesus heals the woman. She has the issue of blood, she's healed. Perfect faith, was her theology all buttoned up? Did she you know have everything down just right? No. But it was good enough. It was a place to start. Then Jairus comes back and the leaders tell him, hey, after this delay, it's it's too late. I'm sorry, but your your 12 year old girl has passed away. There's no need to bother Jesus anymore. And Jesus continues to walk with them. No, let's go ahead and walk. We'll go to the house. They get to the house. There's a crowd of people there all mourning her passing. And Jesus says, the girl is not dead, but asleep. And it almost seems insensitive. It almost seems cruel to say something like this. And the mourners there, they probably don't know what to do. And they just laugh. Jesus removes them. He just has a moment with this girl and her family. And he heals her. There's laughter, there's unbelief, we don't need to trouble Jesus anymore. But with Jairus, there's faith. Perfect? Probably not. But good enough It's a place to start. There was was a man who brings his boy to the disciples. Disciples can't heal him. Uh, The the man's getting frustrated, he doesn't know what to do. He turns to to Jesus, says, Jesus, I've tried everything, nobody can seem to heal him. Jesus says, with man, things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. Do you believe? And you get the idea that the man just turns around, yes, Jesus, I believe. And then perhaps Jesus just looked at him because he knew there was more coming. And then the man said, but help my unbelief. Perfect belief? No. Good enough was a place to start and Jesus heals his boy. You know, sometimes we think everything's gotta be perfect, you know, especially this time of the year, right? Christmas day, we want Christmas day to be perfect. Hey, let's make sure that everybody's clothes are perfect. We got matching Christmas sweaters. Everyone gotta be smiling for the picture and your eyes are open and all these things. And hey, we got lunch coming, Who's, who's making the casserole? Oh, she can't make that. She messes it up every year. We got to have somebody else make, it. you know. There's a lot. We want it to be perfect. Never is, is it? There's always something that goes wrong. Somebody's eyes closed. Some gift that's supposed to be special gets revealed before Christmas. It's never quite perfect. In our own lives, sometimes we think, you know, once I get this cleaned up, then I'll really follow Jesus. Then I'll invest in Jesus. I, you know, w- once I achieve this or, or make this kind of milestone or get this raise or, or whatever, this job, once I just get everything settled down, once everything is just right, then I'll really invest in that relationship. Then I'll follow him. The thing is, it's never just right, is it? There's always some kind of a mistake. There's always something that needs to be fixed. There's always something that goes wrong. There's always something. And we can always be fixing to get ready to. You know, you've heard you've heard people say, I'm fixing to get ready. And sometimes we're like that, aren't we? I'm fixing to get ready, I'm fixing to get ready, I'm fixing to get ready. If you're always fixing to get ready, the perfect time never comes. Jesus isn't looking for perfection. He's just looking for a place to start. And Bethlehem, is that place to start. It was that place to start where the light shone from Bethlehem, this small nowhere town Micah would write about it. Oh, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, from you will rise one who is ruler of all. His origins are from long ago, yes, from ancient times. He's just looking for a place to start in all of our lives as well. So this year, as we celebrate Christmas and all who Jesus is as we see him not simply as this tiny baby lying in a, as we talked about this morning, a limestone uh, feeding trough, but the preexistent God who spoke all of creation into existence, the one who gave up all those rights of heaven to come down and take on flesh, who would live the life we could never live, who would die on the cross, for our sin and rise again, defeating it, we look at Him, and it doesn't matter where we're at, none of us got all the answers right, right? None of us have it all together. It doesn't matter where we're at, He's just looking for a place to start so that we can grow in that relationship with Him, our knowledge of Him, and our application of His Word lived out in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for your Son. God, who came to a world in darkness, and God, the light shone in that darkness, and God, the darkness did not overcome it. And so even today, as we look around, and yes, it's still a dark world, but God, your light continues to shine. And this year, Father, I ask that your light would shine through us as your church, God, and we have this promise, this assurance, that the darkness still loses, that it will not overcome it. But God, we need your help to live the life you call us to live. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ.